It has been the tradition and the practice of the church since the very beginnings to stand for the reading of the gospel. And we do that to honor the words of Yeshua. So if you're able, will you please stand uh, with me? Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. A very simple prayer. What we're about to do is also an act of worship. So, Father, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts, may they be acceptable to you, our Lord, our sure foundation, and our rock and redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's the 11th Sunday after Pentecost, or some some traditions, 10th Sunday after the Trinity. If you're not used to Uh, liturgical churches or a lectionary, we follow uh, a cyclical reading of Bible. It takes three years. This is something we inherited from the synagogue. So these are the readings that are appointed, and you've probably recognized them. They're very familiar. Jonah and the whale, walking on water. And sometimes stories that get very familiar, sometimes we don't pay as much attention to them as we probably should. Sometimes we probably miss things because they're so familiar. Well, 
whenever we read the, the, the Gospels, we should always be challenged by, what does this tell me about God? And how does this tell me about being a better disciple? So, let's looking at our readings. And particularly, I'm going to look at the Jonah passage and uh, the Gospel passage and see how they can tell us something about the Lord and about being His disciple. And you can probably see that they both revolve around water uh, in different forms. Water is a very strong theme in the Bible. In the beginning, God makes the heaven and the earth. Heavens is plural, and it means waters. Waters are a big thing. But when, when God makes the heavens and the earth, what's the first thing God creates? Light. Yet, in Genesis chapter 2, we discover something already there. Water. Where'd the water come from? And the Holy Spirit is hovering, moving, and pondering these, uh, these, these waters. And water in the Bible and in the ancient world was absolutely terrifying. Because in the ancient world, they'd never gone down, couldn't go down very far. They could never find the bottom. Often, you could never get to the end. And, uh, and it was dangerous. It was chaotic. It was unpredictable. It, uh, one minute could be your friend, and then very soon you're drowning. And so you couldn't, it was uncontrollable. But there was somebody who could control it. God. And nearly every nation and culture and tradition had a God for the sea or the water. And you made sure you said a prayer to him when you were hopping on a boat. But in Psalm 29 verse 10, it says, God is a king over the flood. These destructive waters that wiped out uh, all of human civilization, God ruled over that chaos too out of the primordial mess and the deep and, the, and, the, and what seemed so unpredictable, God was a king over water. He could divide it. He could give it. He could bless it. He could use it. Uh, he was a ruler of water. Now, the, both in the Jonah portion and in the Gospel portion, we also have the compulsion to go. Jonah has to go to Nineveh and the disciples have to go uh, onto, the, onto the Galilee. And in both instances, water's going to play a feature. So in, we'll start with looking at our prophet Jonah. If you want to put up our slide. I always like to use a visual aid. So Jonah comes from... Um, this is an icon, by the way. It's a Greek icon. I think I've learned to appreciate Greek iconography... For those that know me, that you, in the Jewish tradition, you worship God with all of your senses. Right? That includes your, your eyes. And so Jonah, he's, um, uh, he lives under, under a rule of a king called Jeroboam II. And uh, who's this king, I hear you ask? Well, he's a king of northern Israel who rules at a time when the Assyrian Empire is in decline. The great Assyrian Empire was having some internal struggles, and so Israel, northern Israel, took the opportunity to expand. So they were actually expanding their borders. They were recapturing 
all of their biblical territory. They were doing well. So in the time of Jeroboam, they are militarily successful and secure. They are economically powerful. Uh, they've got their temple. They are got abundant harvests. They're doing well. Spiritually, though, they're going into decline. So at this time period, Amos the prophet shows up from the south to tell them all about it. But Jonah, he comes from a northern tribe called Zebulon, which is near the Galilee. Zebulon. And uh, each tribe, out of the 12 tribes, each tribe has a sigil, you know, some sort of image. Some of them you can, you're easy to pick. Like, what's the sigil of uh, the tribe of Judah? A lion, right. And um, the, when you get to Zebulon, their sigil is a ship. It's very interesting. I always find it very interesting because Zebulon's actually landlocked. Yes, so I often wonder, was this just a pipe dream of his? Like, one day I'm going to make it to the sea. But anyway, this is where he is. And Jonah could have been sent to Israel. They kind of needed it. They weren't really listening to Amos. Could have used a new voice. The Lord comes to Jonah and says, I need you to go to Nineveh. What does Jonah think about this great plan? What does he do? Runs away, opposite directions. He says, no. Now, if you're a Jewish sage, you start scratching your head. Why? God's, he knows everything. God is sovereign. He's in total control. Are you telling me that there was no prophet who would have said yes? I mean, out of all the prophets that were there, none of them said yes? We picked the guy that says no? What's going on? What's this tension between free will and, uh, and the sovereignty of the Lord? Why would God choose someone who says no. Now, you know the story. And uh, Jonah gets the vision, and he runs the complete opposite direction, hops on a boat, sails away, gets into a storm, falls off, swallowed up by uh, a rather large fish. In Hebrew, in, in, the, uh, Hebrews, uh, in Hebrew, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, is Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Okay, the verses don't always correlate. So our, uh, John, you actually read, he actually read the verse ahead because he knows this. So the, 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 it says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now in Hebrew, it says that uh, the Lord, Yoman Adonai Etadag, and the verb uh, yaman is where we get the, the word for yoman, which is a diary, a journal. But what do we call journalists? Okay. Yomanit. And um, uh, these are the people who, who, who you know, wouldn't know the truth that comes and hits them in the face. Sorry for all the good, the good journalists out there, okay? okay? Be good people. But God scheduled a fish 
He put on the diary, fish, you need to be here. And that, because this is how sovereign God is. And I could just imagine God up in heaven saying, okay, fish, I need you to be there. And the angels are pondering this. And then the Lord says, watch this. Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh. No, this is going to be fun. Hopped on a boat. And he's swallowed up. And then we often will get uh, the people, uh, the images of Jonah, there's many images of Jonah, uh, in movies and, and, uh, and, uh, and pictures where Jonah's inside of the belly of a whale and there's a big pocket of air around him and he's praying up a storm, right? Except that, I got to tell you, there, are no, there is no air in stomachs in any, any animal. There's gases uh, that eventually come out, okay? But it ain't air and you don't want to breathe it. So, the Hebrew is very clear where he is. All right? In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Where from? From the deep, in the realms of the dead. In Hebrew, aneni mebeten sheol. Have a look at our Greek icon. Jonah's being swallowed up. There he is with a piece of uh, the text. And it says, from the belly of death. Jonah is, according to our Greek tradition, dead. What is the sign of the prophet Jonah, says Jesus? It's resurrection. Now, before you go, wait a second, people can't pray and talk after they're dead. Yeah, they can. Because in Luke chapter 16 you have a, 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 a story where Jesus says there was a rich man and then there was a poor man called Lazarus. And at this point, I can just imagine Lazarus going, really, you have to use me again for this story? Can't you use Peter? He's always making a mistake. It's okay, Lazarus, I got you covered. They both die. And where do they go? One goes to a good place. One goes to a bad place. And then they talk. They can see each other, they can communicate, and, and the rich man even knows. He can remember, I've got family up above. Please send some help. Hebrews chapter 11 says there's a cloud of witnesses. No good if they can't see you. There's a bunch of cloud of witnesses who are perpetually in soul sleep, so there's no point them watching because they can't. It's not true. So it's a challenge. Jonah is resurrected. But why... Does he need, why does God need him to say no? Well, let's imagine this. There's my brother Reuben. He's a great prophet. He's living in Issachar, right next to Zebulon. God says, Reuben, I need you to go to Nineveh. And he's like, you got a boss. Gets down there and he tells those Ninevites a thing or two. Do they believe him? Do they repent? Some Jewish guy telling him what to do? No. But imagine this. Jonah's in the belly of a fish for three days. For three days and three nights, enzymes are working on him. His skin is bleached. All the hair on his body is all taken off. He comes out. It's gone. 
he comes out not looking like that. <laughs> okay? He is really weird looking. He smells absolutely atrocious. Now that crazy character walks into Nineveh and says, I've got a message for you. People go, yeah, you do. Okay? And so, yes, he eventually answered the call. Interestingly, they read the book of Jonah on Yom Kippur. Uh, in the Jewish tradition, you have a cyclical reading of Bible, and then every time there's a feast day or a special holiday, you have a special book that you also read. So on Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement, the day when, when Jewish people are repenting, the book you read is Jonah. Who repents in the book of Jonah? Gentiles. The Ninevites repent. Do they do it with sacrifices? Do they kill thousands of animals and blood of bulls and goats? No, none. Isn't that interesting? So on the day when Jewish people are repenting, they're reading a book that says Gentiles can repent too. Quite a good challenge for us. But I think the key to, uh, to this, this is verse 9, when Jonah says in his prayer, I will say, Salvation comes from the Lord. And that's true. Turning over to the other call, Jesus is with his disciples. We've finished the feeding of the 5,000. And in context, John the Baptist is now dead. And Jesus hears that his cousin, who's his cousin in ministry, uh, and he needs some alone time. And this tells us that, that Jesus is also human. And he needs to spend some time alone in prayer. So he, he dismisses the crowd and he sends his disciples onto the lake. Now he knows what's going to happen. So he has sent his disciples into a storm. It's not always pretty. Now each of us has a calling. And that calling stays exactly the same. In next week's lectionary reading, it's going to be Romans 11, and you're going to hear the words, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. If you don't know what your calling is, don't worry. It'll be the same tomorrow. And God knows his heroes so very well. Israel still has a calling to be a light to the nations. And may they do that too. So Jesus knows his disciples, sends them out into the storm, and has some time alone where he can reflect on his cousin and probably a bit of the future. And there's a storm. It's on the fourth watch. It's somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. To coin a phrase, it is a dark and stormy night. And the disciples are on the sea. And they've never been to the bottom. And it's tough and then they see a ghost walking on, uh, on, on the water. This is not like Jesus walks on the water all the time. Okay? It's not like you know, the, the, Jesus is always walking on the water and the disciples are struggling to figure out why we have a boat in the first place. Okay? He just walks on the, on, everywhere. They think they're going to die. The storm could bring us down to the depths. That could be the angel of death. They're terrified. Jesus identifies himself in the chaos, 
in the, in the confusion, in the panic, and he says, it's me. And uh, does the storm go away? No. What is, uh, what is, what is our brave hero, Peter, then? Now, Peter, only in the book of uh, Matthew does Peter do the walking on water. The other Gospels, the synoptics, don't mention him. But here, he, uh, he says, Lord, if that really is you, then you tell me to come. And what does Jesus say? Come. And Peter gets out. Although I'm struck to think perhaps the word come was also for the other disciples too. Maybe, not, maybe it wasn't just for Peter. But Peter gets out and he walks on water. At this point, I would have thought the other disciples would have sword, seen, wow, look at him go. Let's go, boys! And join in. But they don't. And uh, put the other slide up if you can. And the, the text says that Peter notices the storm and the waves and gets scared. And he starts to sink and he cries out for the Lord, which you're supposed to. And because uh, salvation comes from God, he cries out for the Lord, save me. And immediately he gets help. And at this point, I'm sure all the sermons come on, they say, just keep your eyes on Jesus. Right? And, and I, I think it's a great line. It's just no one can unpack what that actually means. Just keep your eyes on Jesus and you walk on water. Okay? Describe that to me in real life. Right? So I think that while those sermons might be helpful, I think they're lacking something. And I think if we go back into our Hebrew context, let's see what Jesus said. When he grabs Peter, he says, why did you doubt now, it's not that Peter doesn't believe in Jesus, right? Or God, for that matter. Like, did he just suddenly, all of a sudden, just go, oh my gosh, Jesus isn't, isn't my master anymore, even though he's the one walking on the water. And I've just been doing it for the last five minutes. What does it mean? And plus, Jesus never says, oh, little brother, you know, why did you doubt? And the rest of you guys who didn't get out of the boat, you're all fired, okay? You can row back to shore. Peter and I have got it from here, okay? Just drag him along, you know, through the water. The other disciples get off scot-free. I think it's really fair. So let's actually look at the words doubt. And what's the opposite of doubt? Faith. And you know, of course, because for those that have, have heard us preach here before, faith in Hebrew, emunah in Hebrew, is a verb. Well, actually, it's a verbal noun, shem paola. In, Hebrew, in English, you call that a gerund. Uh, now, I had to look the word gerund, gerund up to, to know what that meant. Um, you know, funny thing about us English speakers, just don't know how to speak English. Uh, gerunds are ing words. These are words that you derive from verbs when you're doing them. So the verb to walk is the verb. But when you're actually doing it, you are walking. When you, when to, to look, that's the verb. When you're actually physically doing it, you are looking. Okay? Sitting, running. These are all gerunds. They're, they're, the, they're the action you do when you put a verb into practice. 
Interestingly, that's what faith is. Faith is faithing. Faith isn't just sitting in something inside your head. Because even demons believe. Do they not? Right. So now that we know that faith is... And that, and that actually uh, fixes up a whole slew of interesting Bible verses. Right? Faith without works is dead, all that kind of stuff. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Blessed is he who hears my words and does them, says Jesus. Uh, everyone knows John 3.16. You know, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. No one knows John 3.21. Do the truth. So... Faith, something you do. Its opposite, doubt, suffec, is a noun. It's doing nothing. It's just being. Doubt isn't necessarily not believing in God. Doubt is more likely doing nothing about it. I think there might be a God, but... Nah. I'll get there one day. Maybe, maybe the day before I die, I'll, I'll believe. Maybe when I'm older and retired, I'll, I'll finally go to church. What, what Jesus is saying here to Peter is, is not, why'd you doubt me? Or why'd you doubt yourself? Why'd you stop? You were walking on water. You were doing it, Peter. And your friends were not just keep walking and you would have kept walking on water now of course straight after this they get back up and they walk back to that boat and Jesus calms the storm because he is the king that rules the waters I study with a group of uh, uh, rabbis uh, a couple of times a week and one day years ago we were going through the book of Daniel and we get to Daniel chapter 12, so we're right at the end. And Daniel has a vision sequence. He's always having dreams and visions, this kid. And he sees this, this sort of angelic divine figure standing on water, prophesying about the future. And when we're reading the text, one of the guys leans across to me and he goes, Aaron, see, this is why Jesus has to walk on water. And I'm like, uh, nah, I don't see it. What are you doing? He goes, no, look, come on, come on, Aaron. This is right up your guys' alley. Okay? You've got a divine figure prophesying about the, mess the Messiah in the future. This is a messianic connection, and he's on water. Obviously, Messiah has to walk on water. I'm like, wow, that'll preach. So I just preached it. <laughs> Tick. But let's put this all together now. We're called. We're, we're, we're called. You've got a call on your life. It could be dangerous. It could be very unpleasant. It could be places you don't want to go. But God knows you can do it. Even when you think you can't, even when you say no, God can arrange it that you'll get there anyway. He is the king over everything that's chaotic, over everything that's bad, everything that seems deep and scary. 
but he's the Lord of it. And when you follow him, yes, put your eyes on him, but walk out your faith, walk out that calling, then you too will walk on water. You too will partake in the kingdom of heaven right here. And the gates of hell cannot stop what God has started. So do it. Whatever your calling is, do it. And work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you and blessings from the city of the king.